Father, we give you thanks for another Sunday morning together. God, may we never take that lightly. The blessing that you've given to us to gather once again as, as your saints, as your children, as brothers and sisters in the very presence of God. We give you thanks, and I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would lead this time, that, God, you would teach and instruct us, that you would give us humility, give us humble hearts to receive, something that maybe we think we've already heard or known, and even if we do already, maybe we already have this, God, the reminder is so necessary, so, God, would you please instruct us anew? And then thank you for the grace that you'll provide that we can actually live it out. God, you truly are good. In the midst of everything going on, you, God, are good, and that is the foundation that we stand on. And so, God, have your way in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Before going to Deuteronomy, look at Micah chapter 6. It'll be up on the screen. I feel like if you've been brought up in the church, verse 8 is something that we're used to. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. We kind of know that. But when you read it in the context... When I, was, when I was putting these notes together yesterday, I was, or the day before, I was kind of like, God, I've known eight, and I was just going to go to verse eight, but I was like, what's the context of it? Listen to the context, and I think it opens up that one verse so much better. He says, with what shall, in verse six, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten thousands of rivers of oil shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. In other words, like, what should I present to God? And I've got to give him all this stuff, especially for my sin. Like, should I even give up my firstborn? And I think what happens as followers of Jesus, we can kind of get into the monotonous sometimes. And God has to yank us back out. And by the monotonous, I mean this. I'm not saying the faith, being faithful in the mundane, I'm not saying that, but the monotonous religiosity of saying that we're Christians. Like if I do enough things, then, I've, then I'm good. Like God and I are great. If I show up enough Sundays, I'm good. If I give enough, I'm like when it's time to take an offering, if I give enough, then we're good, right? So if I do these things, God, you'll give back, Right? If I do all these actions, if I stand when I sing, or if I kneel when I sing and my hands go up, or when I, if I spend every day in the Bible, then God, we're good, right? And what I want to challenge us with is why do we do the things that we do in our faith? Because if it seriously is just to kind of appease him, we don't actually believe in what it is that Jesus paid for. That God is not needing to be appeased. He's wanting to be worshipped. We do these things out of love for him, not so that we can be loved more by him. Does that make sense? Do you realize that before you knew Christ, Christ's love for you is exactly the same as it is now? Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him, that he gave you the faith that was necessary that you could surrender to Jesus and believe in him. It, it all comes back to him. And so we can look at this, when we look at Deut Micah chapter 6, especially verse 8, this is what the Lord requires. It's, it's kind of like a contrast. The contrast, here's all these lists of things that we're so used to. I could give you a thousand rams. God's like, I don't want a thousand rams, and especially now in this new covenant. It's not just about these outward expressions or outward activities. It's about this, 
walk. And he says it here. He says, he has told you, O man, or what, or O mankind, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? He wants us to act a certain way. And justice, friends, is not defined by our culture. And it's not defined by our societies. Justice is defined by God. The God being righteous defines what is good and what is evil. And God does not change like shifting shadows according to the scriptures. That what he has set up as righteous living is his standard. And some might look and go, but do you know how hard that standard is? Absolutely. That none of us can make it to God on our good works and therefore we fall upon the grace of God. That Jesus paid for everything that was necessary on the cross. But he still asks us and calls us and requires from us his followers. He requires us to live in a certain way. That I cannot, guys, if I say that I love Jesus, but I do not obey his commandments, then I am a liar. Jesus himself is the one who put, those, or put that concept into words. He says, I know those who love me by those who obey my commandments. It's not about those who feel love, because isn't that what love has become today? It's a thought, it's a feeling, you know, you're in love. But think about it, if, if I say that, okay, I'm in love with my wife, but I don't love her in action, word, deed, thought, I don't love her in the way that I'm loving her, but to say that I'm in love with her. Can you imagine if I'm saying I'm in love with her and I treat her like crap? Can I then and then say, oh, but I'm loving her? Because you think that God's sitting there going, well, at least you feel something. And yet as followers of Jesus, when we say, oh, I love Jesus, but I just don't do what he says. Can you actually claim that you love Jesus? He says, I want you to, here's what I require of you. I want you to act justly based upon what God defines as just. And then he says, I want you to love kindness or to love mercy. Guys, to love kindness. It's like this is what we should be striving for, kindness. For just a second, men, were you raised with that? Hey, be kind. Or was it like, be man, grunt, scratch, build stuff, smack people, like getting fights with boys. It's like, do it. But when we look at Jesus, aren't there, it's this word that meekness that we just don't have a great English equivalent for. And I've brought it up, it's, it's like this, having the perfect emotional response to every single situation right when you need it. That there are times we should be angry. When we, think, when we see people who are oppressed or we see kids that are taken advantage of or abused, we should sit there and go, man, that breaks my heart. I'm angry over that. When lives are taken before they're born, man, that should ache my heart. I hate that. And yet when I deal with those who maybe are doing something that is again what God has stated as his standard of truth, my heart should hurt for them that they should come to know Jesus. That I should want them to come to Christ. I should have this kindness toward them. Maybe being tough. Maybe that's not what God's always telling us to do. Maybe he's actually calling us to be meek. And then he says this, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. Isn't it weird? He doesn't just give us a list of all these things to do. The last one is this. As you're, as you're, love, as a, as you're doing just things and you're loving kindness, 
This is the most important, and walk humbly with God. Just walk with him. Take a stroll. And guys, I, I highly recommend that at some point this week, try it if you haven't before. Like literally do this. Get outside of the house, get away from screens, put the phone away, and go for a walk. And just have a chat with God as you're going. It's called prayer. You're like, no, heads bowed, eyes shut, fold your hands. That's how you do it. This is the right way. That's not the only way to pray. I mean, you can do that when you walk, but you'll, one, look stupid, and two, you're going to fall at some point. But I say, man, go for a walk. Like, seriously, go for a walk and learn what it feels like. Maybe we should be asking God, God, don't bless the pace in which I live, but teach me your pace that I might learn to walk with you. Teach me your pace. To walk humbly with your God. And so when we get to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, and it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require? And the word require is better translated, in my opinion, the word ask or to beg of you. What is it that the Lord your God asks or begs of you? But to fear the Lord your God. We looked at that last week. And this week we look at to walk in all his ways. To walk in all his ways. That word for walk in the Hebrew, it means to walk, travel, to go about. That's one definition. But listen to this. So it's not just... I feel like a lot of people, when we read this, and I'm guilty of this as well. When I was looking, it's just do what he says. Just obey him, right? Walk in all his ways. Just do what he says. He's just saying obedience. And I believe that's part of it, but it's connected to so much deeper things. Because when you look at this word for walk, it's also translated as behave, to live, to go about doing certain actions in a regular, more or less consistent manner, so possibly constituting a life or lifestyle. Make this your lifestyle, Everything that you're about. So to walk in all of his ways, it's not just hitting up a Sunday morning worship service, going through the motions. He's sitting there going, I didn't die, come back from the dead so you could do that. Why? Because they could already do that before he did that. But to walk in intimacy, to make this my lifestyle, guys, it's so much more than what, it's not a religion when we learn to walk with the Lord, to walk in all of his ways, continuing as an extension of the act of walking as regular or patterned. Guys, I know I bring up the Great Commission a lot and I'm gonna continue to do it at nauseum because I believe that's the one mission that God gave to us and we're supposed to be doing those things. As we love him and love people, we go make disciples. When you hear that word go, guys, last weekend, uh, so last Saturday, <clears throat> spoke at a young adults conference over at a hillside, just a small little thing. And they said, hey, can you preach on the Great Commission? That was the, and they gave me like two weeks notice. I'm like, are you kidding me? Man, my church would be sitting there going, again? I was like, absolutely, I can do that. And that, but as I reread some things, that word go, guys, that word go is not a commandment. The only commandment in the Great Commission is to make disciples. But that word go, it's the word going. So it's kind of like in your normal going, in your daily going, in your life, as you're coming and going, make disciples. But how often have I preached that? Going, guys, this is mission time. Get ready. We're going to go across the whole world. We're going to go. And Jesus is like, just go to the store. Just go to the store and maybe talk to the checker. Hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? I'm a follower of Jesus. Talk to the dude on tech support. I mean, just go. In your normal coming and going, you bring Jesus up for the purpose of not, hey, I'm fulfilling a duty. No, no, no. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to come to Christ. If we really are, have been changed by Jesus, 
then this should not be this duty that is so overwhelming because if I asked grandparents in the room, hey, could you brag to me about your grandkids? You would have sitting there going, do I have to? Am I gonna do it the right way? What if I say too much? What if I don't say enough? If I just said brag to me about your grandkids, my, my guess is this, I better sit down with something to drink because you're gonna go off for some hours. And it's not gonna be this, did I go through the right steps, the four steps? You're just gonna brag. And so what if we just said this, followers, Jesus, followers of Jesus, what if, what if sharing Jesus is just bragging? Just bragging about him. And the ability to do that will come from our love for him. It's not a chore to brag about your grandkids. It's not a chore to brag about our kids. But how did it become a discipline or a chore to brag about our Jesus? That word go is just coming and going in your life, in your life. In other words, your mission field starts in your zip code. And you're coming and you're going, just make disciples and then baptize those disciples and teach them to obey. And it's the coming and going of life. It's this walk. It's how we live. It's, but it's not only how we live, but it's also who we, and here's the other definition of it, follow. The word to walk is to follow. It's to be an adherent of a person or group or belief. And so for when I say I'm gonna walk in the ways of the Lord, I'm going to follow the Lord. And isn't that what Jesus has called us to? He calls us to follow him. Guys, you remember that part? And I was, I'm not gonna do the whole passage because I feel like I just preached it not too long ago. But the, the rich young man, he comes up and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? It's like, what must I do to be saved? And isn't that what we try to push today? Hey, if you wanna be saved, then you just pray this prayer and you're fine. But isn't it weird that when this rich young man asks the question, Jesus says this, he says, you know the commandments. And he starts going through some of the 10 commandments. And the young man's response, he's like, I've done all those since I was a kid. It's almost like, oh wow, you're amazing. Look how awesome you are. He's like, I've done those. But he knew there was something lacking. And then Jesus says, you lack one thing. What I love, I think it's in the book of Mark, before he even dresses, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that part. He looked at him and he loved him and he said, oh, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow, or you'll have treasures in heaven. And then that last part, come follow me. Follow me, walk with me. Guys, do you realize that the invitation to follow Jesus is not separate from the gift of salvation? It's not get saved and then decide whether or not you wanna follow Jesus. It all comes together. Friends, when I was invited by the Lord to follow him by the grace of God and he gave me faith that I could do so, it was not just so that I could have heaven one day, but the invitation was follow me. And when I stood up and 17 years old at Hume and I said, Jesus, I'm all in, I'm all in. Why, because you're worth it. My whole life's about you, like whatever you want, I'm giving up my life. And when I said yes to be his disciple, then salvation is the gift. And salvation is the gift that I don't have to pay for because he paid for it. But discipleship costs us everything for the rest of our lives, but it shouldn't, we shouldn't sit there and go, really? I gotta give him everything? You sit there and go, because of who he is and because of what he's done and what he continues to do, 
I own nothing. I renounce everything. You said, I go, renounce? Do you realize that it's in the book of, Mark, or the book of Luke that Jesus actually said this? Anyone who is not willing to renounce all that he has is not worthy to follow me. He expects it all, but followers of Jesus, when we grasp who he is, what he's done, his love, his character, for us to give up everything, it's not a chore. It should be a joy. It's not, I'll do this, God, so long as you'll do this. Guys, that's bartering. And can you imagine if God actually lived that out? If I said, God, I'll do this if you'll do this. And can you imagine God sitting in heaven going, okay, I'll do that. But I was thinking of something so much better. What if we just said, God, I don't care. Whatever you want. I give up everything for you. That's what it means to follow. So when he says, walk in all your ways, God applauds that and God wants that. In Genesis chapter five, verses 22 to 24, Enoch is mentioned. It's one of my favorite guys in the Bible. We hardly know anything about him, hardly anything. And yet he's even mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, the chapter of faith. In in Genesis chapter five, verse 22, it says, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Isn't it amazing? It's repeated. Verse 22, verse 24. It's like, I want you to make sure you get this. Like for us, we'd sit there going, wait, he lived for 365 years? Are you kidding me? That sounds horrible. That's a long time. That's not repeated. That's not even explained. And for some of you, go, that's why I don't believe in the Bible. Think about it. That's the one thing why you don't believe in the Bible. We follow a dude that died and came back from the dead in the 365 years. That's the thing you're holding on to. That's the wrong thing. You should think we're nuts because of the resurrection. But twice, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. And he was not. In other words, he didn't die. God just took him. And then you read about him in Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended. Here it is. As having pleased God. Followers of Jesus. You know how your life would change if you actually believed that you heard God say, at a boy, at a girl. Because don't you always think that God's just sitting there going, that's it? Seriously, that's it? Do you all, how often do you feel like God's just going, what a slacker? Get your life to stop sinning. Stop messing up. We always feel like he's just kind of on our, on our case, right? We actually don't believe that his mercies are new every morning. We don't believe in the amazing grace of God or we'll just connect his grace to salvation and that's it. But anything else, absolutely not. Friends, his mercies are new every morning. Guys, he saves to the uttermost like I talked about last week. Those deep, dark places that you haven't told a soul, Jesus is in those places and loving you the same. And he's working his process of sanctification, which is pretty much his work of changing you more and more day by day into his own likeness. He is loving the process and he is so patient in the process. Guys, he just wants us to walk with him. And when we do, 
He is pleased. He's overjoyed. He likes you. He's for you, not against you. Guys, I think he laughs with us. I think he wants to play with us and not just have us pray to him, but play with him. It's relationship. It's not just religion. It's walk with him. Converse with him. Listen to him. Guys, try to punk him. Try to play practical jokes from the God that knows everything just for fun because you know he's doing it to you. (laughs) Guys, think about it. We have the concept of play, right? Who created it? We have laughter. Who created it? We have the concept of fun. Who created it? Guys, do you realize that's part of the walk with God? We have forgiveness. Who created it? All Enoch did, this is, and he's made it to the Hall of Faith, friends. He had some kids and he walked with God. That's all we know. So for those at home, you got little ones, moms or dads, you're sitting there going, Brian, I'm exhausted. Yep. Does it get better? I don't know what you're going through. It's great. It's, a, it's definitely a ride. And there's days you're exhausted and you're guessing, right? Let's be honest, parents. Isn't it just prayer-filled guessing a lot of the times? God, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. We're gonna try it. You gotta go with some confidence to see if it works or not. And then if it does, you can write your book. Guys, when we look at God... He's invited us to walk with him. And all Enoch did was raise some kids and walk with God. So parents, you realize that every single day, whatever stage your kiddos are in, every single day, God is sitting there going, look at the faith that they're walking with me with as they strive to raise their kids to love Jesus. And guys, I'm convinced that if God was continuing to pin out Hebrews chapter 11, he would say, and remember, and there's your name. Because if Enoch, all he did was raise his kids and walk with God, how is that any different than what he has called you to do in raising your kids and walking with God? Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't have to be some massive thing and massive tons of people. You could just simply do that thing in your home that God said, this is what you're focusing. Focus in. The greatest opportunity for discipleship are your kids. Nail them. Talk about Jesus. Bring them up all the time in every kind of situation, coming and going, walking in and out. Just bring them up. It's by faith. And that I promise you this, that God is standing in ovation. A.W. Tozer calls this walking with God to live in a state of unbroken worship. Unbroken worship. So I wrote this question in my notes. Is it possible that we have substituted walking in the ways of the Lord without actually walking with the Lord? To do the, we're obeying, like we're doing the Christian things and we have good morals, but are you walking with the Lord? 
You say, well, Brent, it says walking in the ways of the Lord. Yes, but if the word walk means to follow in the ways of a person or a belief system, do you really think that Jesus just wants us to follow a belief system without walking and following him? So is it possible to just go through the motions? This is how I was raised. I have good morals. I've gone to church like I'm supposed to. Most of the time, I do good things. I, I do some good things here, and I give here, and I do those things. But I'm asking, are you walking with him? So much so that it would please the heart of God simply because you want to be with him. So we spend time in his word, and we spend time in prayer, and then we have to go off to work, right? It's like, well, what do I do then? You work with God. Oh, Brian, I got a pretty rough job, okay? And then tell God when it's getting rougher that he wants to be involved in all of it. And those massively happy times for you and your family or you and your home or those really difficult times or the crisis that come up or the times we're supposed to rejoice in all of them to be walking with the Lord, to be enjoying him. And not just the blessings that come from him. And so we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10 to walk in all his ways. So we looked at the word walk, the word ways in the Hebrew is, is it's, it's Derek. There you are, man. This is for you. This is your word, Derek. It's actually Derek, but I don't know that I say it correctly. I, I, I heard it pronounced. I'm like, I don't know if I can get that part, but I tried. I feel like I nailed it pretty well, but this is what it means. Okay, so there's some definitions. It can mean the way, the path, route, highway that you're going. It's also this journey. So walk in the journey that God has set before you. And if I want to take it, bring it to scripture. Okay, so in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you are God's workmanship, created Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. If I, get to, if I go to Hebrews chapter 12, I'm supposed to keep my eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorned in its shame. Before that, he talks about this great cloud of witnesses. So here's Jesus, these witnesses of Jesus. And he talks about, hey, it's now our turn to do what they did and to continue to walk in endurance the race that has been marked out for us. Guys, you don't have to make up the race. You just need to walk with him. The other definition was this strength. You can walk in the strength and the might of God. This last one is this. It's the word conduct. In other words, it's almost the same as way, like to walk. We looked at that, walk in all the ways. This word ways means conduct. It's your coming and going. It's your behavior. It's your manner of life. It's your habits. It's every moment from when you wake up to where you go to sleep. And before we go to sleep, we thank God and we enjoy conversation with him. Even if it's like for some of you, does anybody here fall asleep in about seven seconds? Pretty much, right? If you're married, it doesn't help with the married talk time in the bed because it doesn't happen. Like Kelly knows, once we get into bed, the covers come up. You've got about six seconds. And in about an hour and a half, I'll wake up. We can talk again, but right there, boom, I'm gone. But what if the last thing I say is, Jesus, thank you for this day. Not just to start off, but thank you for another day. I know I pray that I gave you, I pray that I gave you glory. <sighs> and then I wake up and I say something like this. What if we did this? Jesus, thank you for another day. Oh no, I pray that I would bring you glory today. What if every thought before we went to sleep was Jesus and every thought when we woke up was Jesus and I pray God that I would bring you glory because I really want people to know you. And then every moment between the times that we're conscious is about Jesus. See, it comes down to Romans chapter 12, verse one and two. I think it's summed up well here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, 
In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Guys, if you have your Bibles open, if you're taking notes, underline that phrase. And if you don't, just do it in your head. But holy and pleasing to God. Guys, do you realize that that means there are things that I can do in my life that are not holy and pleasing to him? And no matter how I want to twist the scriptures and I could get enough people that agree with me that now this is okay even though it wasn't before, if I get enough people to back my play and I feel better about it, then we can look at God and say, God, this is what's holy and acceptable. Guys, it's a sacrifice that's presented to him. I love the fact that Paul still uses the word sacrifice. Because it's supposed to cost us something. This isn't salvation. This is, I'll say no to certain things because it's a sacrifice to you, God. God, I'll say yes to certain things because it's a sacrifice to you. God, I'll be generous because it's a sacrifice to you. I'll give up time because it's a sacrifice to you. But it's holy and acceptable to him. That means there are things that God then looks at us and goes, nope. That is not a holy or acceptable to me. If you're in the Bible reading plan, guys, have you noticed through the, whole, through the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the law, how often God says when you present a sacrifice, it needs to be without blemish, without blemish, without blemish, without blemish, and how it turned after the new covenant, after Jesus takes the cross, dies, come back from the dead, and now we think that Jesus will just take anything. In other words, God, here's the leftovers, here's a bone. And some would say, at least you're giving him something. And yet maybe God is sitting there going, I still expect the best of you. You sit there and go, gosh, that sounds legalistic. Really? Gentlemen, husbands, remember when you wooed your wife? Remember that first date? Maybe for some reason, maybe some jumped in going, this is what you're getting. And you just showed up in like a stained tank top, barely had shorts on, smelling like you haven't showered for a week. And you're like, you gotta love me. This is what you're getting. And I'm just sitting there going, dang, God's grace is amazing for you. <laughs> but didn't you kind of go out of your way? Take care, make sure it's like kind of got ready, thinking through, okay, what are some things I can do? Why? Because you're trying to impress. Isn't it amazing? We'll think through and how we can impress a person, but when it comes to God, we don't give it a second thought. God, is this holy and acceptable to you? We can get very legalistic with it, though, can't we? But if we go back to Micah chapter 6, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. So God, I pray that everything I do today would be acting justly. God, I want to do the things you want me to do that are right before you. And to love kindness. Oh God, teach me that I might learn to love kindness. That other people would know you because I love them so well. Even if they hate me in return. And I want to learn to walk humbly with you guys. It's not a legalistic thing. I've had people walk up to me before. And it's fine. Everyone can have an opinion. And they'll look and say, uh. So why don't you wear a suit when you preach? I don't know. If you, if you want to see me in a suit when I preach, it's pretty much your funeral, so maybe you don't want to see that because that's pretty much when I'll wear one. Funerals and weddings, that's about it. You say, you're not presenting God your best. Am I not? 
So if I wake up a couple hours before on a Sunday morning so I can spend time with the Lord and present myself to him, is God sitting there going, no, 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 put on a tie. <laughs> Guys, I don't believe that he's sitting there judging our, our tie or did I put enough effort in what I wear. I think he's much more impressed and much more interested, God, did I place myself and my heart before you in a manner that's worthy of you because I wanna surrender everything to you. Friends, I promise you this, if God told me tomorrow, don't be sending me this, this text message like pretending that it's God, but if God said, hey, I want you to start wearing a suit every day, I'll put a suit on every day and I'll look gorgeous. <laughs> I'll put one on, but if he doesn't, I'm not. Because it's a man-made thing. I just figured Jesus walked around with one change of clothing that he wore the whole time. How do I know? Because when he died, the Roman, the Roman soldiers gambled away his clothing. He had nothing else. Maybe we've missed the point. Guys, this isn't a legalistic thing. This is, am I presenting my body as holy and pleasing to him. Why? Because it's my spiritual act of, or it is true worship, presenting my whole person to him. He says, don't be, can, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Guys, this transforming of your mind, the word transforming is constant. It's this constant transforming. It's not a one and done thing. And that's why I'm always saying, guys, let's get back in the word. Let's be in the word. Let's be in the word. Let's be in prayer. Let's be in the word. Let's be in prayer. Let's be in fellowship. God, would you change the way that I think so that I can then change the way that I, the things that I do, that I can present my body, everything I am, as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. Rosaria Butterfield said this. She's an incredible author. I love her stuff. She said this, worship is our rehearsal for how to live today and how to glorify God in heaven. It is not merely a Sunday morning exercise meant to make us feel good. Over the years, followers of Jesus, how often have you left a worship service saying something like this? Oh, that one got me. That was so good. But how often have you ever walked out going, nah, that didn't do it for me. Nah, they didn't, they didn't really speak to my heart then. Think about what you just said. Like you're expecting one person to speak to the heart of every single individual in that moment, however many people are in the room, but my question to you is this, did you come with an attitude of worship of God or did you come with an expectation that someone here would do something for you? This is worship of him. And friends, I'm convinced that when I humble myself before him and I go into a situation, if I go into a service and someone else is teaching, oh God, I'm here to worship you, I'm here to worship you. And I place myself under that person's teaching. God, would you speak? I wanna hear you, but it's always about him. Friends, God will meet you. It's not even the responsibility of anybody in the room. God himself will do it because no one else can. It's an attitude of worship. It's almost like when you get out of the car, you're coming in on a Sunday morning, you kind of go, I'm ready, God. I'm gonna give you so much worship, it's just gonna make you nuts. You're just gonna feel so embarrassed with what I give to you. Instead of, God, what are you gonna give me? He's like, no, 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 worship me. Worship him. Like he's saying, worship him. So as the worship team comes back up, 
And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require or ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways? In John 14, 12, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. If you want that verse, he actually says something along the lines of, and you will do greater things than you've seen me do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will be in you. You're like, wait, did you see all the things Jesus did? Yeah. But now we have the Holy Spirit of God in us, working through us. Maybe we're just not tapping into it. In other words, let's do this. Let's just do what Jesus did. and Let's just do what Jesus did where Jesus did it. Let's do what Jesus did where he did it. Friends, he got alone with the Father in prayer. He knew the scriptures. He helped those who were in need. He preached the truth, and he held to it. He called people to repent and receive the good news of the gospel. He laid down his life so that we might live. Friends, he served. He showed grace. He showed compassion. He had strength. He was meek. He sacrificed. When we say, I want to walk in all your ways, we're saying, Jesus, I want to walk in the way that you lived. I want the way that I live to be the exact same way that you lived. And friends, may we stop hiding behind the excuse that so often we say this, I, that's just not who I am. I know. All of us should be looking at God going, there is so much work you need to do in me and then realize that God's sitting there going, I know. And I knew it before time began and I knew it would be part of the process and at no point has he ever regretted calling you and giving you faith necessary that you could come to believe in him. Never once has he wanted to give us back. He simply wants us to walk with him and he who began the good work in us will carry it to completion. And our response should be, God, I want the conduct of my life to look so much like the conduct of Jesus that people would actually look at me and say, Jesus, and go, nope, but I know him. Even if they can't stand the way, even if they can't stand the things that we may believe, may they never question the love that we have for them. Even though we have to stand for truth, that we will do it in such a way that it is dripping with grace. To walk with him, friends, is so much more than just obeying him. So when you come back to this, hey, what shall I come before the Lord? Verse six of Micah six. What do I bring? What do I bring? What do I bring? It's like, oh, I don't know what to do with him. Here's what you bring, you. Just bring you. That's all you gotta bring. Just bring you. And how do you know that you can walk in the ways of God? Because when you walk humbly with your God, you will automatically walk in the ways of God. Guys, if I just said, be moral, do better things, you're like, more things to do. But if I just simply said this, just walk humbly with God. Guys, let's bring it down to something simple. Just walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord and love him. And we're gonna get into that love in next part, or next week. You walk with the Lord and love him. Oh, isn't there more to that? Yeah, but if you love him, you'll do what he says. When you walk with him, you'll want to walk where he goes. So you'll go where he goes and you'll do the things that he does simply because you walk with him. Can I pray? Can I pray for us? 
Jesus, I thank you that you came and you showed us an example of what it looks like to walk in the ways of God. You being fully God, it's helpful. God, I want every situation or circumstance that I have to face to not dictate the way that I live or the way that I think or the things that I say, but I want every circumstance to be impacted by the reality of the Holy Spirit in me. I want joy to be an inexpressible that impacts other people. And I want all of this to come because I simply love to walk with you. God, I pray for anyone else who agrees with that prayer, that Jesus, we would not be content with just simply doing Christian things. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir the hearts and our affections to want to walk with God, to want to be with you, not just heaven, but now, to humbly walk with you, that we might walk in your ways because Jesus, you're worth it. So God, in this last song, as we give you praise together as a community, as we close up our morning together, God, we want to do this in a way that is holy and pleasing to you, an acceptable sacrifice. This true worship and true worship, this is one aspect of it, but true worship is our whole life. But in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you help us to worship Jesus in a manner worthy of Jesus, to the glory of the Father. And we give you praise that you are due and whether or not you desire or even a, whether or not you respond in any way that is a blessing to us, God, so what? To you be the praise and the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.